You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joya. I am the lead pastor here at the Pines and I am so excited that you carved out 25, 35 minutes and change to study God's word with us. For those of you who are joining for the very first time, it's a great time to pick up because we're starting a new series this entire month on gratitude and thanksgiving because how many of you know that Thanksgiving isn't just a Thursday in November. It's actually a way that Christ has called us to live our lives. And the Bible has a ton to say about gratitude, about giving thanks. And so that's what we're going to dive into over these next few weeks. But to open up today's message, I want to start by asking you a question. How many of you have heard this? I'm just looking for the will of God. Okay, maybe you've asked that question this morning or this afternoon, but I'm just looking for the will of God in this situation. I'm just looking for the will of God as it pertains to my career, as it pertains to my marriage, as it pertains to my relationships, to my passions. We all ask that question because it is a question worth asking. But sometimes I think we, we romanticize it to the point where the, it's this ethereal concept and none of us can quite quantify or locate what the actual will of God is. But my friends, that shouldn't be so because the Bible states very clearly what is and what isn't the will of God. And we're going to begin here in First. Thessalonians, I always mess that up, 518, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, the New King Jimmy, and it says this, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so God's will for you is to give thanks thanks. Now, many of us would never come to that conclusion. Many of us would miss that. Could it really be that simple to give God thanks in the midst of our pursuit of relationships, marriage, career, all of these things? And so that's what we're going to be diving into today because it's not a knee-jerk response. Um, We know out of rote that there are certain times that we should say please and thank you. But do we have thankful hearts? Do we live a life that we are truly grateful and thankful for the things that we already have, the relationships that we already have, the season that we're in, or are we constantly looking at that next career move, that next relationship, that next season, that next thing worth acquiring? Because if that is indeed our focus, then we'll never truly be satisfied. We'll never truly take the time to be thankful, which means that we'll always be lacking and wanting. And so 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us very clear that the will of God for you, okay, in case you were trying to put it on this person or that person, it says for you is to be thankful. 
And I think there's a beautiful illustration of this principle found in the Gospels, and we're actually going to be camping out there. It's a very, very familiar story. I'll just kind of give you the backdrop, and we're going to be reading out of the book of John, chapter 6, verses 5 through um, 11. But Jesus was preaching. He preached all day, preached to a multitude of people. They say that there was about 15,000 people, counting women, children, and men, okay, that were listening to Jesus preach. He was going off, okay? And then the disciples started to look around. Jesus has been preaching for a long time, and they're like, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and there's no food here, and there's babies, there's children, there's nursing mothers, there's dudes that are hungry. Like, what are we going to do here? Like, we gotta, we gotta, because this is a long journey into town. We gotta figure this whole food thing out. So the age-old question, where are we going to go to eat? Man, the disciples were dealing with that. So that's nothing new under the sun. We're always dealing with that. I know that in couples, that's one of the biggest things. Where do you want to eat? Where do you want to eat? Where do you want to eat? Okay, so the disciples, they're dealing with this right now. Like we got to get them something to eat and there is really nothing to eat. And so we're going to pick up there. And the Bible says in verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, one of the disciples, where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So when God, this is just a side point. When God asks you a question, when Jesus asks you a question, okay, he's not looking for the answer necessarily. He's looking for you um, to pinpoint the answer. It means that you don't know. Okay, so because Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he was seeing, he was testing what was inside of Philip. And Philip answered him and said, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have a bite. So that's Philip's response. And then another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up and he said, Here's a boy with, with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go amongst so many? So here we see Philip's response, Andrew's response. You can kind of feel the like, <laughs> kind of like almost teenage angst that they had already made up their minds, especially the way that they were describing the situation in the means in which they had to serve the situation. But Jesus said to them, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and so they all sat down, around 15,000. Jesus took the loaves, okay, and gave thanks. And he distributed those to all who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, not just something to eat, but when they had enough, like I'm full, he said to his disciples, go and gather all the pieces that are left over. So they had leftovers. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets, enough for all 12 of the disciples, with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
okay? There is a ton going on in this story, but let's go back to the original uh, intent of this message, thanksgiving. I wanna highlight two different perspectives in this story that are very unique to the human experience. And I think we can relate to having each of these different perspectives. The disciples had one perspective and Jesus had another perspective, okay? And so, first of all, I wanna say this. When the boy came forward with the fishes and loaves, uh, that whenever I read this story, it always amazes me. Because when Jesus asked, or the disciples asked, is there any food amongst you? Only a boy came forward out of 15,000 people. There is no way on God's green earth that there was no one else in that crowd that didn't have something. But I bet many of them looked at what they had and said, there's no way that this is going to be enough or this is just going to incite a riot. And I have a long journey home, so I'm going to keep this to myself. But the boy simply acted and was obedient in what the master was asking and saying, does anybody have any food? And he said, well, I have something. And something is better than nothing, and I'm willing to, to share it. And he wasn't trying to problem solve, okay? He wasn't trying to see and follow this request through to its logical conclusion. He was simply obedient to what the master was asking. And so there's a whole sermon in just this boy's obedience, but we will save that for another day. So we're going to focus on, rather, the disciples' perspective and Jesus's perspective. And so Philip was the first one to speak up. So let's go ahead and start there. And it says, it would take, I'm going to read it like Philip probably said it, because this is the thing that we forget. We, we forget these nuances, that these are real stories, that John was there on the ground when this whole thing was unfolding, okay? And he remembered specifically what Philip said, and he recorded it in the Gospels, Okay, but I guarantee you, people don't talk monotone, right? People don't talk monotone. Sometimes when we read the Word of God, unfortunately, it's become a very monotone reading of the Word of God. Okay, but there was some angst. There was some emotion and some feeling behind this because God gave us feelings. Okay, and there's, there are feelings often attached to our words. So I'm going to do my absolute best. I wasn't there. Disclaimer. Okay, but I'm going to do my best how I feel through these words. It was probably shared. And Philip said, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for even every single one of these people to just have a bite. Okay, so he's, he's from the valley. He's from California. I don't do many voices. That's the voice that he had, but you can feel the angst in it, okay? So he's painting this picture. He's not just saying, um, I don't know if there's gonna be enough food. He has to say, there's no way that there's going to be enough food, even for everybody to have a bite. This is an impossible situation, Jesus. Why are you even asking us to ask the crowd? Of course there's not enough food. It's all wrapped up in his words that John recorded in the Gospels, okay? Could you be any more melodramatic, all right? Um, it's, it, it, when I read this, it just sounds like a, a, like a teenager. You know, when his parents ask him to go clean his room or to finish his homework, it's like, oh, there's no way I'm going to have enough time to do this, mom and dad. 
which I don't know why we get stuck with that voice when we're in our teens. But um, anyway, so he's, he's truly not grateful for what they have. All he's doing is looking at the problem. And you know, Andrew's response isn't much better, okay? Remember, he actually said this and John recorded this. And he said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and a couple of fishes, um, but how far is that gonna go amongst so many? So he's already like, he's already trying to make Jesus's mind up for him. Like, there's nothing here, I told you. Like, yeah, there's a boy here. Yeah, he has some loaves and yeah, he has some fishes, but what good is that gonna do? It's not gonna go amongst all these people. There's 15,000 people. And there's just a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish here. Okay, so once again, what I love about this is he says there's five small barley loaves and five and two small fishes. Like why they gotta be small? Okay, why can't it just be like there's some loaves and some fishes, okay? Why has he got to throw these descriptive adjectives on top of it? Because he's trying to make a point. Because the disciples, this is what I want to highlight. In their language, in their response to God, they're trying to make a point that we are facing. Here's the point. Jesus, I'm facing an impossible situation. 15,000 people are hungry. It's miles and miles away to get food. There's no way we have enough money to get food for these people. You asked me to go into the crowd to see if there was any food, which I already knew there wasn't going to be. And lo and behold, one boy out of 15,000 gives us a few small loaves of bread and a few small fish. And so there's no way this is an impossible situation. They're bent on making this argument to Jesus. But you know, I'm being hard on them, <laughs> but I can relate. You know, how many times has that been me? How many times have I looked at what I had as not enough? How many times did I look at what I had as small and insignificant and it's never going to accomplish the dream, help accomplish the dreams that you've placed inside of my heart? How many times have I looked at what I had as not enough? You know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough open doors. I don't have enough experience. I don't have the right relationships. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. You know, it's real easy if you ask the average person what they're believing for, they can write a huge list of all the things that they want and all the things that they don't have. But if you flip the question and say, well, what do you have? people end up scratching their head because they don't take the time to take inventory of what they have. Most of them are preoccupied with what they don't have. And I can relate to that. So many times I'm looking at like what I don't have and how I'm going to get there, that I miss out on the miracle that God is trying to do in enlarging my faith to believe him for more in the midst of what he's already given me. You see, here's the point. Jesus saw the loaves and the fish as something. And something is always better than nothing. Listen to Jesus' response, his perspective. The Bible records, Jesus took the loaves. Notice he didn't say small loaves. 
and he gave thanks. And then when he handed them out, they kept on multiplying and being distributed. So what the disciples looked at as an impossible situation, what the disciples looked at is almost like, oh, these small fish, oh, this boy had to come forward out of everybody. Jesus gave thanks for. The disciples were convinced that they had nothing, but Jesus recognized that God had provided in that situation. And because he provided through the obedience of that, of that boy, Jesus gave thanks. And as a result, 15,000 people, well, 15,000 to 12, right? Because the disciples and Jesus, 15,000 to 13 people were fed that day. They weren't just fed. They were fed enough until they didn't want anymore. And they weren't just fed until they didn't need any more. There was enough to fill 12 more baskets for the disciples to be able to continue on in their journey. Not only that, 15,000 people are having the opportunity to sit under Jesus and be fed. Now witness a creative miracle in where there was only a few fishes and loaves and now there's enough to feed everyone. So they sat under the word of God and they were and they were given the opportunity to participate and witness a miracle, enlarging their faith. God can do a lot with our little, okay? God, David liberated a nation with a small stone in taking out the giant. Moses put a small staff, a rod, in the middle of the Red Sea at the beginning of the entrance of the Red Sea, and it parted. God can do a lot with your little if you see it through the perspective of being grateful that you have something. You know, Matthew 17, 20 says this, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small, there's that word again. Now God's using some descriptive words, okay? So God is saying, yeah, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. See, we all have something to offer. We all have something to contribute. We all have something to give. It's just that many of us don't take the time to thank God for the things that we already have in our hand. David had, knew how to use a slingshot. There were stones available. Moses used that walking stick. The little boy, he had the fishes and loaves. God is asking, I'm not asking you for that other stuff. I'm asking, what do you have? So you may look at your talent level and say, it's a talent level too. And God's saying, that's all I'm asking for. You may say, all I have is $100. And God's saying, that's all I'm asking you for. Be thankful and grateful for what we have and then God can use that in an extraordinary and powerful way. And you know, I, I read this somewhere once and it really, it always stuck with me. And it's this question, what, suppose tomorrow morning you woke up and you only had what you gave thanks for the day before. What would you have? Would you have a wife? <laughs> would you have a husband? Would you have a job? Would you have a, would you have a car? Would you have friends? 
Would you have your health? Would you have food? Would you have a roof over your head? Would you have clothes on your back? What would you have? It's a sobering question. And you know, we're entering into a month that's supposed to be dedicated to giving God thanks for all that he's done in and through us. And I think it's a sad state of our nation that the day after Thanksgiving, we immediately run to, into Black Friday that actually spills into later in the night in Thanksgiving to go buy a bunch of stuff. Now, the Bible says that it's better to give than to receive. I'm all about giving good gifts. I'm all about surprising people. I'm all about blessing people. I love to give, but we have to give thanks for what we have. And I think that's something that we've lost as a church. I think that's something that we've lost as believers. I think that's something we've lost as a country and as a culture, being grateful for what we have. I got the iPhone 10. Oh, but there's an iPhone 11. You know, oh, I want the iPhone 12. Right? It's just we continue to want what we don't have instead of being grateful that we have what God has given us. See, Romans 121 says this, for although they knew God, this is a warning in end times, for all they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they didn't, they didn't honor God and they didn't give God thanks. And as a result of not honoring God with their lives and not giving God thanks, okay, they, they became futile in their thinking and their hearts were darkened, were, were corrupted. Futile isn't a word that we use very often, right? It's not a word that we hear every day. So I went ahead and did the liberty, did you the liberty of looking it up. It means this, incapable of producing any useful results, pointless. We were created to display God's righteousness and glory here on the earth. And when we become ungrateful, okay, our lives become pointless. Our thinking becomes futile and our hearts become darkened. That's how important thanksgiving is to the believer. When we abandon thanksgiving, we open ourselves up to corruption, to deception, and ultimately our hearts becoming darkened. See, Psalm 69.30 lays it out before us. 69.30 says this, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. How do we magnify God? Through giving thanks. What's a sign to the unbeliever that when we're walking through you know, a COVID culture or we're walking through layoffs and all the ups and downs of the political spectrum, that in the midst of that, of navigating the same things that the world is navigating, we shrink back not in fear, but we move forward in giving God thanks for what we currently have. And as a result, it magnifies God and it gives God room to be God so that he can take what we have and what we're giving thanks for and open a miracle right in front of us. 
That's what separates us from the world, is that we're grateful, that we're content, that we're, we give thanks for the things that we have. We're not constantly needing the next thing, this dopamine fix. I need another like, I need another like. Swipe right, swipe right, swipe right. What we have, we are content with. But because of who God is, he's gonna continue to shower out his blessings. Oh, it's so good. See, when we give God thanks, what are we doing? We are proclaiming that God is a provider, that God is a rewarder, that God loves us and showers us with his glory, with his provision, with his healing. We are testifying to God's goodness. That's what thanksgiving is. And the Bible says in the book of Revelations that they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb, Jesus's blood that he shed on the cross and the word of their testimony. What is the testimony? The testimony is, even though I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God remained faithful to lead me through and provided and sustained me during those seasons. So we proclaim his goodness. And that is the message that the world needs to hear. But unfortunately, many of us have remained silent. Why? Because our heart and our affections are tied to that next thing instead of just being content with our relationship with God and what he's provided. And so this is a warning that we don't drift off from this. This is the way that we've been meant to live our lives. It's the source of our true contentment. Psalm 100 verse 4, I'll close it up with this, says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. What is the overarching message that God is trying to get across? Enter his gates with thanksgiving, with giving God thanks. When I wake up in the morning, and I pray to God, okay? When I was early in my walk, I would pray through all the needs that I had. I would pray through the needs of my friends, the needs of my family. And then this scripture just exploded inside of my heart. And I remembered, no, I am to enter his gates with thanksgiving. And so it totally changes the way that you pray in the morning. So before, and there are needs, God tells us to bring our needs to God. He says not to be anxious about anything in Philippians, but to present our request to God, but with thanksgiving in our hearts. And so when we give God thanks, we are feeding on his faithfulness. We are proclaiming his goodness and that he is a provider and that he is a healer so that when we do present our request to God, our faith has been built up so much because we've already fed on his faithfulness by recounting, by rejoicing, by remembering all those times that God came through. 
And so it changes the way that you pray. You're not in this groveling state. You're in this excitement state, this anticipation state. You're in this state of expectancy because you already know that God has come through and he's going to do it again. That's why we enter his gates with thanksgiving. And plus, we're going to be thanking God for all of eternity. He has saved us. We were all destined to hell. He has set our feet on solid ground. He has rescued us from the bondage of sin and being a slave to anxiety and depression. We have been set apart, set above these things. So there's an endless list for us to be able to give God thanks. And in doing so, it changes the posture of our hearts. And when we don't do it, our hearts become darkened and our thoughts become futile. So if you turn the other side of the coin, when we do do it, our faith is enlarged and our joy is complete. I want to pray for you. Every single person that may be going through a difficult time, that may be having a hard time stepping into this. And so, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Jesus, for where they're at. I thank you, God, um, that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives, to prosper them, to give them hope. I pray that they would be able to attach their faith to those promises, God. I pray that they would have a revelation of how much love you have for them personally. I pray that you would just multiply your grace to help them to step out in faith and to begin to proclaim your goodness with their lips, speaking out loud, giving thanks for everything you've done. And I thank you that that will change their thinking and it will change their heart, giving you glory, magnifying you in their sphere of influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. I hope that you got something out of this. I hope that you go study these things out for yourself. But most importantly, I hope that you begin to exercise your faith by giving God thanks in all circumstances because he is worthy. Till next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.